Proverbs 18, 16. Read it with me. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Wow, that's a very powerful passage, isn't it? A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Father, thank you for revelation. Holy Spirit, you're the one who reveals truth to us. Information, so we get the details of your character, your plans, how you think. And let that lead us to transformation. We can leave here differently than when we came because you have changed directions for us and changed our thinking. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and walk in your favor, not just right now, but always. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. That's a standout passage, one of those particular verses in Scripture that absolutely is amazing. It's one you want to grab off the page, and I want to quote it over my life. I want to quote it over my family. I want to quote it over our church. It's a powerful revelation, and this is a passage because it's God's intention. This is a revelation of God's will for his people. We get to pray that back to God. And expect him to answer that prayer because it's his word. The giftings that God blessed you with make room for you. They make room for you. Often we read the word of God and we don't comprehend the father's dream for his people. You see the strategies of God, his orderly plans, the execution of his on-time will. God spoke to Abraham and he said, I will use my strategies and my plans to make you a mighty man who will produce a mighty nation, my people, as a result. And Abraham came into covenant with God, and when he did, he became a wise man. He became a wealthy man. Those were a pro- that was a process that God led him through for wisdom and wealth, influential and powerful over time. He birthed the nation of Israel. God's ways made Abraham wise, wealthy, and influential. Abraham is called the father of faith. That made room for him, made room for his family and his nation. God is a big picture thinker. He doesn't think like we do. His ways and our ways are incomparable. They are far above ours. And the plan God brought Abraham into produced a nation of leaders. Abraham's son Isaac inherited wealth, and then Isaac created his own wealth. He was very wealthy, the Scripture says. God's Word does not shy away from that at all. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. God revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac as a God who blesses and provides, one who purposed to bless his people, to bless his purposes invested in Abraham and Isaac, to bless the nation of Israel in abundant ways, and to elevate that nation so that all would see it's worthwhile serving the God of Israel. He wanted his people to thrive in relationship to him. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, is born. 
And for his younger years, his old nature dominated some of the choices he made, which were not good ones. But he gets back into relationship with God, and God prospers him the same way he prospered his father and his grandfather. They had possessions, it speaks of of Jacob, there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Jacob produced 12 sons. One of those sons was named Joseph. Now watch this. This is the first time God revealed his plan and his advancement for his people. We see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They are world-changing, powerful, national leaders. Out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. A nation is being formed. God, out of those three, develops an entire people to serve him. One of those sons of the 12 is named Joseph. Joseph carries the wisdom, the thinking, the strategy that God blessed him with. Joseph enters the system of Egypt when God's plan unfolded, a blessing. And through many wilderness detours and character building, God gets Joseph into a position in Egypt. He came out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'd been bathed in God's spiritual DNA. He was wise. Joseph made brilliant decisions. He was thrust to the top of any enterprise he entered. Whether he was in prison or whether he was serving in a household, he rose to the top. Joseph had learned to surrender everything to God. He did not have a divided heart. He learned to place his Isaac on the altar. And there were generations then of spiritual lineage in him. And in the fourth generation, the wealth of the entire economy of Egypt was now under the direction of Joseph. Joseph possessed the wisdom of God. He understood God's ways because he came into fellowship with him. The whole world was in famine, was starving. The only nation with wealth and food was Egypt because of the wisdom of Joseph. Presiding over all of it, Joseph, a product of God's spiritual strategies and God's DNA. God had planted that in them for four generations. And then Joseph passes and goes to be with his fathers. And it says in Exodus, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And the new Pharaoh becomes intimidated by the size of the nation of Israel living in his borders. Israel's being in God's plan and system was prospering and growing. And their way of life and doing business, they were blessed and they prospered in Egypt. Israel prospered more than the Egyptians did in their own culture. One, because one group of people was operating under their own system. The Israelites were operating under the system of the kingdom of God. The new Pharaoh, being intimidated by Israel's growth and prosperity, strips them of their freedoms and enslaves the people of God. By the time Moses arrived on the scene, Israel had been enslaved for 430 years. Bondage, only the basics of life, rough brutality every day, only what the government of Egypt would allow them. Generation after generation for over 400 years of slaves, their mindset was changed. We're not leaders. We're not dreamers. We're not wise. We are not wealthy. We're not powerful. We are not godly. We are slaves. 
When Moses appeared, Israel didn't know who they were any longer. They had been operating now for hundreds of years under slave mentality. We get nothing. We are a get-by people. We will never achieve anything. It's being passed along to their children, generation after generation. The entire nation of Israel is now trapped by a slavery system. Moses is born, but his mother noticed something unique about him. She saw that he was a special baby, and she recognized there was something unique and blessed about Moses. He would mess the system up. He would turn the thing upside down. He was going to be destined to be a world changer. He would break the cycle that Israel now had lived in for over 400 years. So she hid him from Pharaoh, who was killing every Israeli boy. But a man's gift will make room for him, even if you hide him. And she creates a basket for him and puts him in the Nile River. And God knows he can't use Moses like he wanted to if he remained under that old way of thinking. His mother loved him but she doesn't have the whole picture. She doesn't grasp what's ahead for Moses. And if Moses remains being raised in that slave mentality, defeat, poverty, he will never become what God created him to become. So God says, put him in the basket, send him down the river. Just a half mile down the Nile is a whole new way of thinking. I want to place Moses in. So Moses now is being raised in the house of the Pharaoh the one who wanted his death. He's raised in the palace. He's educated by the best institutions. He's exposed to matters that affect entire nations, big thinking, strategies all around him. And that's why Jesus' church is so powerful. You might have been raised in a family that never saw a marriage stay together, never saw a family without dysfunction, never saw anyone graduate from college or go on to any profession but always remain poor. But when you get into the river, which is the Spirit of God, He will take you to another system. He will show you things you never dreamed you could achieve, that your family would never be able to wrap itself around. You walk out of a spirit of defeat and you come out of that victim mentality. You leave behind you the just get by thinking. You become a person who no longer thinks, give me to one who says, I can manage, I can be independent, I can lead. That's why being in church on Sunday is so important. When you're in a good church like Calvary, you won't remain where you are because your thinking will get messed up. Thank God because the thinking we come into the world with is not good, nor is it godly, nor is it accurate. That's why Paul said we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because you were born for better things. You jump into the river where God says, that where you came from is not your destiny. You were born for greater things by divine design. So the more you are in services like these, and sometimes it'll take generations to see a full bloom. It's not just happening for you, but you're changing, breaking out of the cultural system, and that eventually affects your whole family. They start thinking differently. They start acting differently. 
Moses was a different man after leaving poverty-based thinking behind him. He dreamed differently. He had a vision for bigger things, not the mentality that says, well, what can I get? What will the government give me for free this week? It's not for free. It comes with a hook, and the hook is we will control your choices. Or just let me scrape by. That's not a kingdom mindset. Or give me something. God wants you to be the head, not the tail, above, not beneath. God wants you to be on his side of the river. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to the other side of the river. And while they're in Egypt, they change the language of Moses. The word says that Moses was taught Chaldean. He had spoken Hebrew early as a child. He then learned how to communicate in this new system. Because you can't be talking defeat, nothing, nobody, foreign to success language. You can't be talking slave mentality. God wants to change your language. God wants you to learn success and learn skill sets that bring blessings. Because the scripture says, if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is required. That's a very important principle. It takes more effort to have success. It takes more strength to chop down wood. Listen, more strength is needed because that axe edge has not been sharpened. But skill... When you learn to use the tools God gave you and you sharpen the edge of that axe, skill, it says, will bring success. You learn how to sell. You learn how to manage. You learn how to lead, how to make an impression, to look someone squarely in the eye, to communicate clearly. You can take a talented person, drop them into a slave mentality system, and they'll never achieve a whole lot. But if you take an average person and you get them into a system with God's favor, they will achieve great things. Henry Ford will testify to that. The founder of the automotive industry who went bankrupt five times, whose first automobile he forgot to put reverse gear in. But because he was put in a system that allowed him to make mistakes and still achieve, He became the father of what we now know as the automobile industry. God gives favor to those when they move in the direction of his plan. Moses used all the knowledge he acquired out of the Egyptian system and then broke that system because when he let Israel out, they, the Israelites, walked out with all the wealth of Egypt. They got out of Egypt, but Egypt did not get out of them. And they get into the wilderness And they begin murmuring and complaining. And Moses has a moment of great frustration. And he says to God, kill me. Because I cannot do this alone. Now, he was not without God. It wasn't that God had left him. That wasn't what he was talking about. He was alone in capacity. Alone in the way that he thought. Because he was saying, I think future. They think past. I think promised land. They think Egypt. I think flowing with milk and honey, and they think leeks and garlic back in Egypt. Moses cried, I can't do this by myself. I can't break out of this cycle and out of this system of slavery by myself. 
They are history-minded. I am destiny-minded. I can't get it across to them. I can't get them to promise until I get some help and some support. Now, he had company. He had Aaron, his brother. He had Miriam, his sister, and Jethro and family. But that wasn't sufficient. You have to be around people who think correctly. You have to be around people with the right mindset and mentality. You have to break out of that one and migrate to where God has planned you to be. Moses had a management mentality. They had a slave mentality. It's one thing to buy a house. It's another thing to maintain the house with insurance and upkeep and your utilities. Most startup businesses crash and burn within a year. It's one thing to start. <laughs> but how do you know how to manage a business? It's one thing to find a person to marry, but can you manage the responsibility of marriage? It's one thing to birth a child, but can you manage the child when they need to be in church and they need to be instructed and taught and even discipline. It's not just having a child, it's managing a child. In answer to Moses' prayer of being alone, God said, well, find 70 men, and I will take of your mentality and your spirit and your skills, and I will give it to them, and they will prophesy. See how God plans this continuum in his, in his plan for the success of his people. So I want, I want to, you to impart what I've given to you and what you've learned in your lifetime into these 70. We think of prophecy. He said, I will give it to them. I will pour it into them through you, and they will prophesy. Now, we think of prophecy in the church of Jesus as something super spiritual, and it is because it's future speak. When I put your spirit on them, they will no longer speak Egypt where they came from. That was this way back in Egypt. They will talk future speak. Not only the hurts of the past and defeat and bondage, they will no longer be speaking of the horrors of what's behind them. They will talk future speak. They will speak about where we're going, not where we've been. Because they will speak my mind, says the Lord. So Calvary Christian Center, when you begin to talk future speak, that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's future, where we're going. This is what a great church can do. And some people think, well, churches have achieved greatness, just kind of lucked into it and everything fell together. No, you have to stop making excuses and you have to talk future. No longer victims of our past, but get in the river and the river will take you where you can't go by yourself. Talk future. You prophesy the plan and the design of God for the future. And the people begin to think about their future, where they're going. They developed a mentality of the future in the next generation of Israelites out in the desert. A few generations ago, Singapore was impoverished. Malaysia was about to purchase all of Singapore. But a few leaders in Singapore got together and got into one mind. And they said, we're going to change our language and we're going to teach our children future speak. We're going to teach them American English. And we're going to get into the system that produces wealth and quality of life. And we are going to exit this old system we've been living in. We need to change what they're saying and speak what is successful. And that usually has come through American English. 
So they require now every student to speak fluent American English. The result, more per capita millionaires in Singapore than anywhere. Their lifestyle equivalent to the best in the world. And what happened? They stopped talking past failures, poverty, embracing future speak. The American church today, in the next three to five years, 40% of the pulpits of American churches will have a pastoral change, 40%. Some will have retired, but by far the majority will have stepped aside because in an average month, 1,500 ministers leave full-time ministry because of discouragement, because of roadblocks, because they pour themselves into people and pour themselves into the plan of God, and around them they find obstacles and resistance. That's going to be a huge transition in the body of Christ in the next three to five years. A new generation will have to step up, and all well and good. But if the new leadership does not talk future speak, if they choose to live in the good old days, if they're not open to new vision and what God wants for the future, vision, future, kingdom expansion, you cannot live off of yesterday. You cannot live in the good old days. No matter how long God lets me live, I will remain young at heart and realize it's future speak, not going back. Time will not wait for you. You can choose to remain in the past and be irrelevant to today. But time is still ticking, and it will leave you behind. It will leave a ministry behind. It will leave a church behind. And you'll awaken one day in Jurassic Park, a dinosaur, because you've become irrelevant to the rest of the culture. My mentor, who's gone on to be with the Lord in the last few years, sat down one day with a few of us and looked at us and said, my biggest fear in ministry is that we become irrelevant. We no longer connect with the culture. We no longer have a message to share. The message of Jesus is irrevocable. It never changes. It absolutely remains the same. But technologies and transporting it and getting it to connect with the culture must change or we're irrelevant to the culture. It's like a smartphone. When you, when, you, when you get to the point in life where you don't want to learn how to text and you don't want to learn how to open a picture and you don't want to learn how to do anything, you're, like, you're, you're almost illiterate in the culture. You must stay relevant. Churches wonder, well, where is the next generation? Across America, a lot of churches, a lot of different denominations are asking, where's the next generation? They look around, they don't find any young people in their churches. Where are the college students How come they're not in church? They answer, because every time someone said, we need to modify, we need to adapt, we need to evolve, people would sit in their church unmovable. No, refusing to be passionate enough to move the ball forward because they would say, well, I don't like that or I won't give any money to that idea or I don't like these lights changing in the middle of a church and I don't like every single change there is either but I will do whatever I have to do to remain relevant. And the older I get, the younger we're going to get. Because as I age, I will surround myself with a younger generation. In John 14, Jesus gives heaven's plan for advancement. It's kind of interesting. 
And the first thing he says is, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus is saying, get a grip on your emotions. Get them under control. Don't let your heart be troubled. Because he's about to speak of heaven, but there's also an application for the here and now. And there's a great key truth in this about how God moves us toward the future with emotions under control. Don't allow yourself to be so bound emotionally to the past that God cannot advance you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So remember, Jesus chose his disciples, and he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember the text. A man's gift makes room for him. And he said, I'm here. Disciples, where I was, I need you to now step into. You are now to step from where you were to where I am. And I'm going to continue going, and you're going to continue stepping in following me. And so step by step, you continue to move forward to become more like him, loving like him, leading like him, hmm? and doing the things that are just like Jesus. Amen? Becoming more like him every single day. Living like him. So step by step, we are to move forward, maturing, growing, When the minute you stop being willing to learn and to grow is the minute you begin to become irrelevant and you begin to die. I want to mentor the next generation. I do, and they learn, hopefully. I teach others what I do and how I do what I do and how they should look at that so that they can apply it in their choices. I keep moving to the next ministry level that God has for me. I'm continuing to follow where he's leading me. Jesus is showing you his kingdom is generational. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there's a continuum. It constantly moves. You've stepped up to usher. You take a responsibility to teach. You decide to serve and help people praying around the altars. You want to help children, boys and girls and students. That's all well and good. But look around and find someone else you mentor to teach to do what you've learned to do. Where I am, there you may be also. Prepared, ready to keep moving forward generationally. And I see these churches led by some people who haven't learned a new song since I'll Fly Away, O Glory. I mean, come on. Teachers who won't step into the future. They, will, they, 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 they become irrelevant to the child. They won't learn what, how the skill sets are and the techniques you use today to teach and the stuff that's available to you to use to teach. You have to grow as a teacher. You can't be a teacher unless you're growing. You can't be a leader unless you learn to follow. You improve your skill sets. You sharpen the edge of the axe so that with every blow, you're making a difference, sharpening yourself, relevant. If we don't improve and move into our destiny, we'll lose an entire generation while we attempt to preserve our likes and our dislikes. Listen, this is not my church. 
This is not your church. It belongs to the kingdom of God. Jesus has a system in place to advance. And his kingdom is bigger than any of us. So business person, you know, you're a startup and you're in a season of struggle. And you wonder, as you're trotting down this new path, can I make it? Well, there are others three seats or four seats away from you in church that are being blessed in their business. They're successful because they're constantly sharpening their axes. They're continuing to become more productive. Get to the next 413 meeting with Kurt and other business people and learn some new skill sets. Embrace the future. Learn from people who have already plowed down that road ahead of you. Think and speak differently than your past because there are some who sneeze and make a profit. The kingdom mentality is also supposed to turn around and say to the people coming after them, if I can help a business person, if I can encourage someone with skills I've already learned, if I can pass along to you what God's given to me, listen, or if I can help someone whose marriage is struggling because your marriage was struggling, now you can help another person whose marriage is struggling. Or I have some crazy kids I had to raise. Now I can help someone raise their crazy kids because we're supposed to pass this along. It's a continuum. Older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So drop your pride and learn from someone who's been at it longer than you have and be teachable. Is the moment you stop being teachable, you're done. Because you have those who won't wait for the prepared place. So he goes out and then he says, well, I'm going I'm to start my own thing. Oh, I'm going to drop out of college right now so I can jump right into the ministry and not finish and not get that discipline that's important and imperative. And I'm going to do it my way and the way I think I should do it. Listen to me. Instead of getting in the house and remaining in, in the harness, being submitted to spiritual authority, I remember the dean of, of students, the dean of the academic dean of our college, at, at practice for our graduation. He stood in front of our class. And I'd never seen this guy shed a tear in four years. He's a great professor, a fantastic man of God. I'd never seen him shed a tear. And he stood in front of our class, and a tear began to run down the side of his face. And he looked at us. He said, I was tough on you. He said, I've enforced the rules on this campus. I made sure that the disciplines you had were going to help you because when you leave here and you get that diploma tomorrow night and you leave this campus for the last time, no one's going to make you get up tomorrow morning and go to that office and pray and study. And if you haven't learned self-discipline in these four years, you're going to have a hard time ever making it in the ministry on your own. That's why I was tough on you. And that's why I did what I did, because I loved you enough to teach you to become a servant and be under authority. And if you have that gift, if that gift is in you, if God has planted whatever gift he's given you for destiny, if, if God's called you to ministry, listen, instead of getting into the house and getting into the harness and become spiritually under authority and becoming a servant, if you, have, you won't have to become a politician. You won't have to become unethical. You won't have to learn how to steal sheep to grow your church or circumvent the plans of God. Your gift will make room for you if you serve. Moses saw Joshua. He comes back, one of the 12 spies, 
two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can do this. We can do this with God's help. We can do it. Yeah, they're bigger than us, but we can still take them. And Joshua pleased Moses, and Moses looked at him, something different about this guy. He, he, he will succeed me. And Joshua became a trustworthy servant to Moses. And, and listen, Joshua could have done what, what Caesar's son Commodus did in the movie Gladiator. He could have taken out his own father, so to speak. Joshua might have tried to hurry things along a little bit. And when he saw Moses walking along the edge of, of, of the mountainside on Mount Sinai, he might have just kind of gently pushed him over the edge and grabbed leadership from him then and then, then and now. Moses could trust Joshua because he had a spirit of humility. And for 40 years, he served faithfully Moses. And he said to him, I'm here to serve you. And a man's gift at the right time will make room for him. Because when you're serving, no worries. When you're doing what God called you to do at the right time, your gift will make room for you. And when Moses passed from the scene, Joshua became his successor. Elijah the prophet, Elisha is, is the lineage They're together when Elijah was about to be caught up. Elisha is serving Elijah. In Elijah's mantle, a leather cape, he strikes the Jordan with it, and he walks across the Jordan with Elisha. And a chariot arrives out of heaven and takes Elijah upward to heaven. It's an amazing moment on the way up. See, when you're helping someone go up, the mantle comes down. And you can't have the mantle until you help someone go up. Who are you helping? Someone says, well, I can do whatever he does. It looks easy to me. I can just do that. First, who are you pushing forward? Who are you lifting up? It's not about ego. God takes this servant stuff seriously. I mean, that's the system he has for reward. It's serving. And the last thing Elijah did in this miracle ministry is he parted the Jordan. The first thing that Elisha did, took the same mantle, struck the water, and started where Elijah stopped. So you just don't walk off and leave a ministry vacated. You stop and identify who is learning from you and prepare them so that one day they can do ministry. I acquired this ministry debt-free when I came here years ago. It remains debt-free, but now with tripled its assets. We don't start over from scratch. God has designed his church and even, even business to be a continuum. Elisha didn't have to start over. He started where Elijah left off. You see, Elisha didn't start with the parting of the water. He really started with the pouring of the water because Elisha, who poured water on the hands of Elijah, serving him, And you will never part the water until, like a servant, you humble yourself enough to pour the water. If you can't serve by pouring the water. And so I observe, what ministry have you been serving in? Where are you rolling up your sleeves and jumping in the middle and serving? If you're not pouring the water, you're not qualified to part the water. Well, that's for the younger generation. No, it's not. It's for everyone Because there is no word for retirement anywhere in the Bible. You don't get to spiritually retire. Moses did not spiritually retire. Moses was still as vital and full of passion and vigor the day he passed as he was at any time in his life. And God said, okay, let's go. And he worked right up to the last moment in his last breath. 
So what ministry? You don't serve for any other purpose. You don't serve for any other motive, but for the glory of God, to build his kingdom, to honor his name. And when you learn to pour the water, God will one day trust you to part the water. Because a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. How many of you believe God wants you to have some divine appointments with some great people? He does. How many are ready to leave a system of losing for winning? A system of no influence to management? A system of poverty so that there's more than enough? Well, then you have to leave the old behind. It's all throughout Scripture. That's exactly what each of these I referred you to had to do. So here's a word from the Lord, and hear it. You might have been raised up in a system of addiction and defeat and wasted years, and you're not using the gifts that God gave you, and there's only one way out of that, the river, the washing of the blood of Jesus. What you can't do, he delivers you out of that past of slavery into a brand new place where your gifts make room for you. Man, what a deal that is. The children of Israel and its generation that left Egypt never got to appreciate the importance of that principle. They wanted to go back and live as slaves again after 430 years of no freedom. When God was saying, I've got a land prepared, you can go take it. It flows with milk and honey. You're going to be free. How, is, how do you turn down that offer? He delivers you out of the past to a brand new place where those gifts made room for you. And not just for you, but it's for your children and your children's children. So take a moment with me as we close and lift your hands. Stand to your feet and lift your hands and say thanks to God and express some faith to him. That's what Israel failed to do. They never expressed any faith. Express some faith to him. I will trust you, Lord. I will not have a divided heart. My heart will be whole and wholly serving.